Thank you, Cliff. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, through the end of that chapter 5. Uh, we'll be continuing our series going through the book of Mark. We have uh, obviously done the first four and a half chapters, and now today we'll be finishing the fifth one. Uh, we'll be in that consistently until about Easter, then we'll take a short break, and then we'll go back and be in it uh, for a while throughout the rest of the year. Continuing our series in Mark chapter 5 this week with Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. With amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. On behalf of every man, looking out for every girl, you are the guide and the weight of her world. So fathers, be good to your daughters, for daughters will love like you do. Those lyrics are from the song Daughters by John Mayer, which based on the demographics of our church, I'm assuming not that many of you listen to John Mayer on a regular basis. But that song is one of his sweeter songs, one of his nicer songs. And the whole song talks about the effect that fathers have on their daughters. He's essentially trying to tell fathers that they've been entrusted with their daughters to teach and grow them. And that's a big responsibility. Daughters will love like you do. Not everyone can be trusted with our daughters. Not every man who comes along, not every friend they meet, not every religion they might grow up to follow. But Jesus can be trusted with our daughters. Now, I'm going to continually talk about daughters specifically in this sermon. I'm going to say daughters specifically in this talk because that's what's said in the text. 
We have two daughters in the story. But this is obviously much wider than just daughters. Jesus can be trusted with our sons, with our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. We can trust him with ourselves. But we know he can be trusted because of how he acts in the lives of two women who are both called daughters in our text today. And in that text, from this text, we can see four reasons why Jesus can be trusted with our daughters. First of all, Jesus was the solution for both daughters. Let's look at the first several verses. When Jesus had crossed again in that boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Jesus was the solution for both daughters in this story. One daughter of privilege came to Jesus, the the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. A ruler of the synagogue was a privileged position. She would have enjoyed a life, maybe not of luxury, but at least not of wanting for anything. She would by no means have been considered a poor daughter of the ruler of the synagogue. She would have enjoyed respect and power through her family. She would have been a legacy member in the synagogue. She grew up in this church. She was always there. Generations and generations of respect among those people. And she had her whole life ahead of her. We know later in the text that she was just 12 years old when she gets healed. She's a young girl. She's at the point of death. What a tragedy. What a sad situation that this first privileged daughter finds herself in. In a worldly sense, this family would have wanted for nothing. In a religious sense, this family would have wanted for nothing. And yet, even though they seem to have everything going for them, they came to Jesus in their moment of need. They came to Christ when they had nowhere else to turn. The rulers of the synagogue were usually Pharisees. That's who ruled the synagogue, someone who was a Pharisee. They were natural enemies of Jesus. We've seen already over and over throughout the text that the Pharisees show up and they're Jesus' enemies. And yet here, this Pharisee, Jairus, when he was at the end of his rope, turned to Jesus Rather than continuing as a Pharisee who didn't appreciate who he was or acknowledge his power, continuing to hate his influence and his teaching, when the pain and the suffering hit home for Jairus, even he, an influential Pharisee, turned to Christ. And when he got there, he fell at his feet. See, even the privileged and the proud fall down before Christ. You may think that you have power. You may think that you have influence. You may think that you know exactly what to do and exactly where you stand, and where you stand is at the top of whatever you're talking about. But in the face of Christ, when you come before him, when you're met with the Almighty, you have no ability, you have no power, you have no room to stand. All you can do is fall at his feet. This man, who would have been Jesus' natural enemy, was at the end of his rope. He had nowhere else to turn. So in his need, in his desperation, he came to his enemy and he pleaded for him to have mercy on his little daughter and to heal her, even though she was at the point of death. 
This daughter of privilege was loved and cared for. She seemed to have no need for this prophet out in the wilderness, and yet she still had to come to Jesus for her healing. The daughter of privilege came to Jesus, but also the daughter of poverty came to Jesus. Verse 26, she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. See, one daughter was a daughter of privilege. The other daughter had no such status. The first one was young. She had a long life before of hope and prosperity. This daughter was in the opposite state. She had spent everything she had looking for a cure. It doesn't really matter how much money she had before she started looking because it's all gone now. She maybe at one time would have had a lot of money. She would have been more respected. She would have had more going for her than even Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. But it's all gone now. None of it's there. She had spent it all. The hope for a cure drove her entire life to the point where nothing else mattered. That one singular pursuit had driven her to the point of poverty. And even after all that, she had suffered much. She'd had this disease for 12 years, the whole lifetime of the other daughter. She had suffered for 12 years. The other daughter had lived for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians. She had tried everything, anyone who might possibly be able to help her, any possible cure, any possible procedure. And most of this wouldn't have been simple or easy procedures. They would have been painful. They would have been gruesome. She accepted any help that could have possibly been able to come. Many physicians. And she had spent everything. She had suffered much. And all she had to show for it was growing worse. She hadn't gotten better for her suffering. She hadn't gotten better for the pain that she endured or for the time that she had spent, the money she had spent. Her entire situation was worse. She was not better off. She would have been perpetually unclean because of her disease. She would have been unwelcome in the house of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. She would have been unwelcome in the synagogue itself. She would have been forced to live outside the camp, outside of the the places of status, the normal places for people in society in the city. She would have been an outcast, unable to be married, unable to provide for herself, alone, poor, in pain, with no hope to get better. Only a present experience that every time she tried, she only got worse. So this daughter of poverty, this daughter who had nothing, came to Jesus. She was at the end of her rope also. So she came to Jesus who requires no payment, who is the great physician, who would not make her worse, who would relieve her suffering. This daughter had been bruised and burnt by life. So she turned to Jesus in the hope and faith that he would be able to help her. The daughter of privilege came to Christ when the privilege ran out, and the daughter of poverty came to Jesus when the money ran out. But Jesus was the solution for both daughters. Regardless of their status, how they came to him, he was still the end and the hope for both of them, regardless of their situation. And he was that because for both daughters, Jesus cleaned that which was unclean. It's the second reason we can trust Jesus with our daughters in this text today, because he cleans that which is unclean for both of them. To touch a person who is issuing blood or a person who is dead, either one would be to make yourself ceremonially unclean under Jewish law. You weren't allowed to do it. 
It would have had consequences and ramifications outside of yourself because you were unclean under the law. For any person who was not God, that touch makes them unclean. But the contact with that uncleanness, which would normally work like an infection spreading throughout your entire body, making you unclean the instant you did it. For Christ, that's not the case. See, his cleanness is not like anything else. It's not like anyone else in all of reality. He is so clean that when he makes contact with that which is unclean, rather than him being made unclean by that contact, he cleans that which is unclean. When he makes contact with them, rather than him being made unclean, he cleans them. They are now made clean. You are not too dirty for Christ. You are not too unclean for Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter the thoughts in your head, the actions you performed, your dirt is not so much that you will make him dirty. Your uncleanness is not so much that he cannot make you clean. You will not hurt him or make him worse by believing in him or by following him. Because of his work, which he did on your behalf, you now, today, right now, have the opportunity to come into contact with that which is holy. And rather than being consumed by that holiness, rather than being burnt up by that holiness or marring it, you are made holy. You are made perfect in him and through him. He is so infinitely clean that no matter the amount or power of your dirt, you can not only remain clean, but he will clean you. He is not made dirty by your uncleanness. He is not hurt or affected by the dirt that you bring to him, but he can clean it and make you clean. That's what he did for both daughters. One daughter came and touched him. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She appears to be the active agent in this story, right? She fought through a crowd. She had to muscle her way toward him. She was weaving. She was pushing through people. It may have even been painful for her to do this, depending on the specifics of her ailment, why she was bleeding, from where she was bleeding. But she didn't wait for an invitation. She went out and she found him. She heard about him and she pursued him. She knew that he was the solution for her that he could heal her and make her clean. So she did whatever it took, whatever she had to, to get close enough just to touch him. That was all she wanted, just a touch of his garment. She wasn't looking for a face-to-face with Jesus. She wasn't looking for him to spend a lot of time with her to, over a series of weeks, be able to heal her her ailment. She knew, if I can just touch him, That's enough. He's got the power. He can do this. She knew that was enough to save her, just a momentary contact, to come up behind him, not even a face-to-face, but just to sneak by and touch him in the belief that that touch was going to heal her. She knew Christ didn't need a long, drawn-out interaction with her to make her whole again. Just one touch from the hand of God is all it would take to make everything okay. That was enough to save her And it's also enough to save us, 
right? If you were here a few weeks ago, I said that faith the size of a mustard seed is saving faith because saving faith isn't about the amount or the ferocity of your faith. It's about in whom the faith has been placed. You don't need more than a mustard seed of faith to be saved because you are not saved based on the power or ferocity of your faith or amount. You're saved in whom you place the faith. That's what saves you. That's why just a touch was all she needed. Because it wasn't how much she touched him, it was who she was touching. When she came to Christ, just a touch was all enough, was all she needed. It was enough to save her and it's enough to save you. But I have to ask, why are so many of us settling for just a touch? Right? If we have access right now to the God of all creation who is willing to make us clean, who loves us and has a design for us and for our lives, why do we settle for just a touch? She would have taken way more than that if she thought she could get there. She knew a touch was enough, but if she could be face to face, that's obviously what she would have taken. And we who have the opportunity to live in union, communion, in relationship with the God of all the universe, we settle for just a touch of him. Why would we do that? Yeah, I'll pray, but just enough so that I'm not, I'm not lying if someone asks if I've been praying. I'll read my Bible, but I'll do it on Sunday uh, during the sermon because he just keeps going for forever, and I would rather just sit here and read this book. Yeah, I'll join the church. I'll be a member, but I'll serve when I feel like it, when I get around to it, when it's convenient for me. You see, a touch is enough to cleanse. A touch is enough to save but we have to stop settling for a touch. If you're in Christ, God has reconciled you to himself such that you are united to Christ. You are one with Christ. So rejoice in the union. Press in. Develop the relationship. Learn, grow, pray, share. Be a part of the church. Be a part of his design for your life. Be a part of his plan for his glory among the nations to make disciples of all people. Have the faith of this daughter who knew that a touch was enough to save, yes. But she would have gladly taken more than a touch. We who have the opportunity should take hold of it. Stop settling for just a touch. One daughter, yes, went and touched him. The other daughter was touched by him. Verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. See, the first daughter, where she seems to be the active agent in the story, the second one is completely and totally passive. She's dead. She's just laying there. She's not doing anything to contribute to Christ coming and making her alive again. He was petitioned on her behalf. She wasn't even the one who asked him to come. Someone else went and got him. Someone else went and asked him to come to her. She's not the one who, is asked, who, asked him, who asked to be touched by him. Her father came to Jesus and pleaded with him, please come and lay hands on her. Your hands can make her well. So Jesus went to her. She didn't come to him. He went out and he got her. She was dead, lying on a bed with no ability to move towards Jesus. So he moved toward her. He's completely and totally responsible for saving this girl, for bringing her to life from point A to point Z. 
And God still works this way. He still goes out and he grabs people. Ephesians 2.13, which should be on the screen behind me, says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That in the work that Christ did, in the work that Christ continues to do, through his blood, he goes out and he gets those who are far off and he brings them near. That's what Christ did for the girl in this story. He went to her. He came near to her. We start the service every week by welcoming those who are far off and those who are near on behalf of Jesus because he is the one who goes out and gets those who are far off and brings them near by his blood and by his power. If you are his, he did the same for you whether you realize it or not. You are an alien estranged from God, an exile on this planet. You could not be in communion with him who is holy. You could not understand or know him who is holy. So he went out and he got you. He sent his son to earth for you. That's the love he had. That's the love he continues to have. That he goes out and gets those. He cleaned that which was unclean in you, if you are his, just as he did for these two daughters. He was also the antidote to fear for both daughters. That's the third reason we can trust Jesus with our daughters in this story, because he is the antidote to fear for both of them. See, one daughter had nothing to fear before Jesus. Let's look at 30 through 34. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, the the daughter of poverty thought she should be afraid before Jesus. She thought that whenever he turned, he was going to be angry because of who she was and what she had brought him. That now that he had healed her, that he was going to be unhappy he had done so. That he would turn to her in anger to cause her to be in fear. So she fell down before him. She told him the whole truth, just hoping that he might have mercy on her. But we know that Jesus didn't want to indict her. He wanted to know her. That's why he asked who touched her, who touched him. It wasn't out of anger. It wasn't because he was upset, or because she had taken some of his power as if you can take something from that which is infinite. It was because he wanted to see her. He wanted to know her. He wanted to hear her and her faith. To come to understand her and for her to see him and to know that he wasn't angry, that he wasn't upset, that no matter what she had done, no matter what she had brought to him, he was not upset that he had healed her. He listened to her response. He knew the, thing, the whole thing before she said any of it. But he listened to her as she told him her pain, her fear. And then he responded by calming her fears. 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He didn't say your daughter's faith has made you well, but you should be afraid if you ever see me again. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Be well. Continue in your healing. He responded by calming her fears because she had nothing to fear in his presence. 
While one daughter had nothing to fear before Jesus when she came to him, the other daughter was not to be feared for because of Jesus, right? She wasn't afraid, she was dead. But those who knew her, those who loved her, they were afraid. They were afraid for her on her behalf. They were afraid when Jesus came. The other daughter was not afraid before Jesus because she was dead. Those who loved her were afraid. But he says that the antidote to fear is belief. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, he said to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. It doesn't matter that she's dead. It doesn't matter what they say. I'm coming. I'm on my way. You asked me to come and I'm moving. So believe. Don't fear. Just believe. That's the antidote to fear. You see, the fear that we experience, while real, while I'm not discounting that, it's only a controlling factor in our lives when we lack belief, right? I have never been and probably never will be bungee jumping. It doesn't even sound fun to me because I would just be terrified the whole time. I understand the concept of bungee jumping. It's not because I don't understand what's going on. I'm locked into a harness. The harness is tied onto me. The harness is strapped to a bungee, which has the perfect elasticity, is the perfect length, so that I can jump off this high platform and not die, but just like a, something at the end of a rubber band be shot back up. I get it. It's not that I don't understand what's going on. It's that I don't believe that all of that stuff's actually going to happen. I have seen people do math. You're telling me that there was a guy who said, ah, this much bungee cord, that'll be fine. No. There's no way you can actually look me in the face and say that he didn't just forget to carry a zero or something and I'm going to crack my head on the concrete. I don't believe. So I am afraid and I'm not going to do it. The bungee system isn't affected by my lack of belief. The bungee system isn't affected by my fear. Theoretically, it should all work, right? But I have fear because I do not believe in the system. I don't believe that it's going to work. I have no faith in the system or the people involved or that I'm not going to somehow mess something up. So I'm afraid. I'm in fear. But belief is what drives out fear. Do not fear, only believe. Belief is only as strong as the one in whom the belief is placed. So when our belief is placed in Christ, we should have no need to fear, but only to believe. Jesus is the antidote to fear for us, just as he was for both daughters in our text today. Finally, fourth, the reason that we can trust Jesus with our daughters is because Jesus was the giver of life to both daughters. He brought both of them to life. They both received healing. Verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 42, immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. They both received healing. He was the solution to both of them, and he gave both of them life, a full healing with immediate results. The blood was stopped. The girl was brought back to life. No matter their background, no matter their dirt, no matter their fear, Jesus healed and restored 
both of them. The other physicians couldn't do it. The other comforters could only mourn when they came across a dead girl. But Jesus showed up to heal and to restore. So they not only received healing, they received life. Again, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She got her life back. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. She literally came back to life. Verse 43, he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. It wasn't the appearance of life, it was actual life. When he healed them, he not only gave them their health, but he restored their lives. One daughter was healed of her disease, which had caused her such a terrible life, such a terrible existence. But now she could go in peace, she could be healed. No more physicians, no more procedures, no more spending money and only growing worse. She was better, and she could be better. She could live the life that she had wanted this whole time but had only been met with suffering. The other daughter was brought to life literally in Jesus. She was dead and then she was alive. She literally received her life in Jesus and in Jesus. But when she awoke, when she came back to life, she was told, rise and eat. She had more life ahead of her than she did behind her. Christ wanted her to be strengthened and restored to continue in life. So he said, rise, take, and eat. Be sustained for the life that you have ahead of you. And all of this, the healing and the life, came through faith. Verse 28, for he said, if I touch, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 36 again. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. All of Christ's actions, all of his works toward these daughters in this story are brought about through faith. The daughter of poverty's belief was shown in her initiative that she said, if I can just touch him, that's going to be enough. She believed, she had faith that he had the power to heal her even through just a touch. Christ cites her faith directly as the basis on which she was healed, that that's how she was justified. Daughter, your faith has made you well. So now she can go in peace. Now she can be made clean. All this through faith. For the other daughter, the daughter of privilege, belief was shown to be all that was required. It's what he said to Jairus in verse 36. Only believe. See, belief was all that was needed for the girl to be brought to life. Jesus was the giver of life to both daughters, simply on the basis of faith, not on their works. He didn't say, okay, I healed you, now earn this. He said, just believe. Believe in him. Believe in his power. Believe in his sufficiency. Believe in his ability and compassion to actually heal, to actually save, to actually bring to life. He didn't say, work for this, earn this. Because you've been good, now I will heal you. He said, no, because you believed in me, now you've been healed. Now you have life. That's why he can be trusted with our daughters. All right, as the new father of a daughter... I can't begin to tell you how comforting it is to know 
that Jesus can be trusted with our daughters. He can be trusted with our family members, with the problems, the dirt, the fear, the very life of my little daughter. I did my first funeral on Thursday evening. That was my first one. And uh, around the time that I was hearing about Jerry Don's death, I was reading a Twitter thread about a one-year-old little girl named Lottie, named after Lottie Moon, who had gotten a fairly simple illness, gone to the hospital, and then never came home. She'd gotten sick and died just the day before. And JC was taking a nap. Destiny was gone. She was at a concert. And I just cried. I had such fear in that moment that something like that would happen to her. And then I prayed. Maybe more earnestly than I've ever prayed before that he would act, that he would move, that he would save my little six-month-old girl. And when I stopped praying, I remembered that he can be trusted with our daughters. He is trustworthy. He loves them more than we do. He wants what's best for them more than we do. He can be trusted. No matter the situation they come from to him, no matter the dirt, the uncleanness that they bring to him, no matter the situation that they bring to him, no matter the fear they bring to him, no matter the sickness, the death, the sin that they bring to him, he is trustworthy to make them clean, to love them, to heal them of their disease, to give them life. That's what he is capable of doing for each and every person we love. Not just our daughters, but our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, our mothers, our sons. He can do that for each one of them, and he can do that for you. He can love and save you. No matter the pain, no matter the fear, no matter the dirt, he is strong and mighty to save based on his power, based on his work on your behalf. That though you are imperfect, he is completely perfect. That though you sin, he didn't. That though you die, when he died, he rose. And that if you just have faith in who he is and what he's done, his work on your behalf, he can both heal and restore you to life. He can do that. He will do that. So trust him today. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for, willing, for your willingness to save, to heal, to restore. Thank you for being trustworthy, for allowing us to trust you with those we love, to trust you with our very selves. Thank you for not only being a God who loves, but a God who saves, a God who restores, that no matter our situation, no matter our dirt, no matter our fear, you can give us life. 
you can heal and restore us. Let us know that. If we haven't put our trust in that today, let us do that. And let us be a people who trust you wholly with everything that we love, everything that we love and hold most dear. Because you are worthy of that trust. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.